Today's episode is brought to you by Sewing Studio. Sewing Studio is a proud presenting partner of the Walshy Naps podcast. From fabric and tools to patterns and gifts, Sewing Studio's full online studio continues a tradition of sharing sewing with future generations. Curated by Carlene, this community hopes to help make your sewing experience the very best. Visit www.sewingstudio.com and be sure to follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Thank you so much, Sewing Studio. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 144 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a career as an artist who makes quilts with my guest, Jane Sassaman. After a varied career in the design world, Jane Sassaman began to quilt in 1980. She found that these soft paintings satisfied the draftsman, the craftsman, and the artist in her. Consequently, she's now a dedicated and some say obsessed quilt artist and fabric designer. Her art quilts have been shown in many national and international exhibits, including Quilt National 1989 through 2005 and Contemporary American Quilts, the first major exhibit of American art quilts in England. Her quilt, Willow, was named as one of the 100 best American quilts of the century. Jane is also the author of The Quilted Garden. The book includes 20 years of her work and exercises for making nature-inspired quilts. Jane's love for historic decorative arts can be seen in all facets of her work, but it's especially evident in the exuberant fabric she's currently designing for Free Spirit. Her designs are oversized and colorful and have been coined as William Morris on antidepressants. They are created for quilts, wearables, and home decorating. Her latest book, Patchwork Sassaman Style, beautifully illustrates her fabric in action. Jane Sassaman, welcome. Thank you, Abby. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk to you. I love your work. I've been admiring it online for a long time. So I'm excited to talk to you about it and hear your story. So when I think about your quilts and your fabric, certain words kind of pop into my mind. And some of them include bold and dramatic, black, um, energy, mystery, and dazzling. Um, and I wondered if you could just start us out by describing what it is that you do and the way that you would describe it to like a new friend or someone creative that you're meeting for the first time. Like, how do you explain what you make? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> I love the words that you used, by the way. Thank you. Um, uh, I think subtlety is not something that I get. You know, I'm I'm a very quiet person, but my quilts definitely are not. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm coming at this as an artist. So basically, I'm using uh, fabric as my paint, and I just love to 
to see what happens. And I have a, a real affinity with graphic poster style, hard edged kind of work. I've just always loved that. And uh, somehow it always comes out that way. But definitely nature inspired. So yes, a lot of the energy of growth uh, shows up in my work. Mm -hmm. And you're coming at it as an artist. And I feel like you've always known that you wanted to be an artist just from reading a little bit about your story. It seems like there was never a question. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Iowa. Okay. In a college town. Uh, okay. In a college. Did you grow up in Ames? I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and I know that you had a neighbor growing up and you wrote about this in your first book who had this sort of wild garden um, and like a house full of artifacts from China. And I wondered if you could tell the story of <laughs> visiting her garden and visiting her and kind of what it is that she sort of implanted in you. Well, my, my best friend Ruth lived on one side of this lady, and I lived on the other side of her. And she was, to us as teenagers, uh, was an eccentric <laughs> bird for sure. And she would be out in her yard, you know, at the crack of dawn, uh, weeding in her slip. And it was a dense garden and people came from all over to look at it and and uh, my friends yards and my yard was very manicured <laughs> totally the opposite of mrs irvine's um place but she also happened to own the local paint store in town and so she had art supplies there and uh, wallpaper and paints and she would supply ruth and i with art supplies. Um, it was like she was giving us candy, you know, because Ruth was an amazingly talented person, and I think we had a little competition going. We did everything together. And to have the support of this wonderful woman that lived between us was um, really encouraging. And... Uh, we rarely really got to go inside her house, but when we did, you're right, it was filled with artifacts from China. Her parents had been um, missionaries there, so she had a, a lot of things in her house that were so unusual, especially for the um, Midwestern Protestant um, background <laughs> that the rest of us had, so... It was inspiring in a lot of a lot of different ways. Yeah, and then this friendship too with Ruth, and um, I'm wondering what happened to Ruth. What did she grow up to do? Do you know? She, yes, she became a landscape architect. Wow, that's wonderful. So, um, and so you did you? I mean, it sounds like you really self-identified as an artist even then. I, I, I'm afraid there was no choice, and I think I'm, or I know I'm lucky that my parents um, realized that, realized that, well, heck, that's the only thing this girl can do, so we better, we better let her do it. Um, 
So yeah, I had encouragement from from all different sides. And they set you up in the basement with like a desk and like a little work that's, area. <laughs> that's that's right. And um, yeah, it, when I think about it now, I, I I'm really thankful that my folks understood or allowed what was uh, happening to happen. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so you went to Iowa State and um, and studied art, and uh, and you discovered some things there, especially in the library, that really became. It seems like you know our ongoing influences, certain artists that are really ongoing influences in your work. One of whom we mentioned in the intro, William Morris, and another, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Sigai? You know, I don't speak French either, but yeah, <laughs> um, we'll say that's how you say it. Okay. But yes, he was a, a Art Nouveau uh, designer. And um, up in the fourth floor, which was oversized books in the library at Iowa State, they had the or- original plates um, that Dover has reprinted many times. They're pretty famous set of of illustrations, Uh, but the actual pieces that were really uh, stenciled or silkscreened, and (laughs) I visited that book at least once a week, I bet. Um, When you looked at the page, you could actually see the layers of paint, one on top of the other, because of how they were made. And little did I know that it was informing my life. Um, to me, when I look at silkscreen, it makes me think of applique. It's that same idea of uh, layers of color on top of each other. And um, I'm so tempted to go back and see if they still have that book up there. Yeah, you should. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's right. Like the layering. So it's not just the, um, the visual motifs, the, the florals and the, um, botanical motifs and geometric motifs, but also the actual way that the color was laid down that was inspiring. Right. Right. The system. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Right, the system. That's interesting. Okay. Um, and so what kind of art were you making in college? Well, here again, um, it was kind of fortuitous because some of my favorite professors were textile people, um, embroiderers and silk screeners. And so they really kept us up to date on what was was going on. Um, and actually, they were actually instrumental in beginning the Service Design Association years ago. Um, but I always had an interest in designing for use. And Iowa State at that time was applied art. So I was doing a lot of jewelry, uh, doing some weavings, but definitely craft work. To me, um, 
handwork is really important, and I knew that I wanted to be the master of some kind of esoteric uh, work. And so I tried a lot of things before I actually tripped onto quilting. Right. And when you say something esoteric, that is in contrast to what? To something more conventional as an artist, like painting? I I think um, for me, I'm referring to fine craftsmanship, you know, to be the master of something that takes um, some training and some skill to do. That's what you were searching for. Mm-hmm. Right. You had in the in your book, you had talked about a story where you saw something on TV, potentially a commercial of a calligrapher. And that was like triggered something in you. Oh, you yes. <laughs> um, I think it was a, a Hallmark commercial where they showed one of their artists doing some uh, extraordinary lettering. And I thought, boy, that's that's exactly what I want to do. I I want to be the master of something as delicate and as special um, as that person was making. Right. So it was always about craftsmanship for you. And it was really about finding the right form, the right medium. Um, but, um, but craftsmanship was going to be important you know, no matter what, it was just sort of figuring out what kind of craftsmanship, right? right. Okay. Yeah. And you could have potentially landed on, on something somewhat different, but, um, but you didn't. So, so we'll get there. So, so what was your first job after graduating from, from college? And I should say your husband was also an artist. So you both graduated together, um, as artists and, um, and you got a, you got a job sort of applying some of those skills. So where did you go? Well, I followed him back to Chicago, and I applied for um, just Christmas help at the Crate and Barrel, because I learned about the Crate and Barrel from my teachers at school, because they carried Marameco fabric, among other, you know, fabulously designed objects. And so I applied and got the job, and... um, they they discovered that I had some other talents, so I ended up doing uh, hand lettering for them, and then uh, eventually became a window dresser and um, designer for them. Okay, so were you designing products that were then in their like national chain, or was it more like their local stores? Yes, I was more doing. Um, shall we say, set decoration, you know, so arranging the displays and the window displays. And in the local store in Chicago. Right. Okay, great. So sort of some of applying some of the the artistic skills that you had. um, And, uh, and you at the time, weren't really sure what, what medium you were going to use for your personal work, for your personal artwork. You were doing some cut paper work. Yes, that's right. I <laughs> I was on a mad hunt to find what my um, media was supposed to be. 
Um, like I said, I'd done textiles in college and jewelry, but neither of them had really totally uh, hooked me. And so I was really actively still looking, and it was wonderful to be down on Michigan Avenue and, you know, coming from the country and moving to the big city. And I could go to museums or uh, bookstores during my lunch hour and really start to explore. And uh, during one of those explorations, um, went to the Museum of Contemporary Art um, downtown. And they had a show of, it's called the Decorative Art Movement or the Ornamental Art Movement. And it grew out of feminism. And because females are the traditional decorators in our society, um, artists at that time period started to take pieces from domestic life, things like fabric and the idea of pattern and design, and put them into their work, where it could be a painting or a sculpture. Um, but a lot of painters started to use pattern in their work. And when I saw that, I had been making cut paper pieces uh, just to satisfy my own soul. And here were people working with pattern just the way I was working with pattern. And I, I knew right away that there was something in the ether that somehow my antennas picked up. And so I felt like, yes, Jane, it's going to be fine. Uh, you're going to fit in with this art world somehow or another. And that really gave me um, encouragement to keep pursuing my work with um, pattern and cut paper. Mm -hmm. Right. Just that affirmation that it, it fit with, <laughs> yeah, with a movement, right? That it was like mm -hmm. a part of that. Okay. And then this issue of American Craft Magazine came out in 1980 <laughs> and with a quilt by Nancy Crow on the cover. And, um, and maybe you can describe what it looked like and what you felt when you saw it. Well, it was her March study quilt. And for me, it was a pie in the face. It was like, wait a minute. You mean I could be doing this with fabric? It just had not occurred to me. She was doing pieces that looked like the things that I was doing with cut paper. And I had a sewing machine and I had fabric. And when I looked at this piece, I just I realized that it had absolutely everything I was looking for. A color, craftsmanship, scale, um, autonomy. You know, it's not group work. It's really just concentrated personal uh, work, which was definitely appealing. So I just, I started making quilts immediately and haven't stopped since then. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Sewing Studio. 
Sewing Studio specializes in creating a community around the art of sewing. Curated by Carlene, the studio offers a variety of merchandise at www.sewingstudio.com. From fabrics that are fashion forward to honored classics, as well as tools, patterns, books, and gifts. Carlene has had a lifelong interest in sewing that continued with quilting and garment classes. Creating something usable, she enjoyed the feeling of being part of a community. Sewing has remained a grounding place for Carlene, who's also involved in the corporate world. The passion of sewing has always been exciting for her as a personally rewarding endeavor. Carlene carries on the original vision of Sewing Studio's late founder to provide diverse inventory that inspires customers and creates a community at the same time. Become part of that community by signing up for the newsletter or checking out blog posts at www.sewingstudio.com or follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Browse the items that Carlene has curated for Sewing Studio's customers, unique items that will make your creations pop and provide an individualist flair. Many of the fabrics are sourced from garment manufacturers' dead stock. Sharing ideas is part of the fun. The Sewing Studio team is accessible and interactive. Communications from customers help to create relevant inventory while also paying respect to the rich tradition of sewing. To enhance your own sewing experience, visit www.sewingstudio.com from now through the end of May 2019. To receive a 10% off discount on your entire order, use the code ABBY10, that's A-B-B-Y-1-0, at checkout. Thank you so much, SewingStudio.com. And now, back to my conversation with Jane. Right. It was just like a, a light bulb, right? <laughs> like an aha. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. And you know, 1980, it really is like early for for quilt making. I mean, you know, the bicentennial was not far behind and you know, had not been many years prior and there there really wasn't a lot of people, you know, making quilts at that moment yet. You know, quilting fabric, quilt shops, there weren't a lot of them around yet. No, but the art quilt movement, um, that was when the first wave came through. And uh, Penny McMorris had a wonderful program on PBS um, where she invited all these first first wave quilters. So Nancy Crow and Nancy Halperin and Ruth McDowell, um, all these people that paved the way or I could consider myself a second wave quilter. Um, but as I was developing my skills, I would tune into this program and I'd say, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And of course, I had kids then, but that really uh, kept me on track, it kept my focus. And so I quilted in the closet for <laughs> many, many years before anybody saw actually the work that I was doing. But and I think that helped to keep my voice pretty clear 
because the influence from elsewhere, you know, I was not taking classes or anything. I was just winging it, and whatever <laughs> happened, happened. So um, I probably could have learned things a lot faster, but I think it kept my vision a lot clearer by doing it that way. Yeah. So two things about that. One is that Penny's been on this show. Um, she she has Electric Quilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if people want to go back and listen to the Electric Quilt episode, she does talk about um, about that show and how she came to to have it and what it meant. Um, and uh, and the other thing is, so um, so since you did have to teach yourself, how did you learn? I mean, did you, I mean, you know, obviously you had artistic skills and understood color and composition from studying, but, um, but as far as the technical skills of, you know, piecing together a quilt and, um, understanding seam allowance and how things should, should work when it comes to sewing them together, um, so that everything, you know, actually, correctly, you know, sits. Um, and <laughs> how did you, how did you figure that piece of it out? Did you, did you get books out of the library or did you just really figure it out at, on your own? At that time, there were hardly any books. Um, I did get a Michael James's uh, two little books and uh, learn from those. But I, basically learned the hard way. I mean, I knew how to sew clothes, so I had that skill, I guess. But I'm also coming from the art department, so it made a lot of sense to use tape and glue and things like that. Um, And I do tend to treat fabric more like paper. Um, That's what gives my work that real graphic kind of look but yes my first seams were five eighths inch seams like you would put in a dress um, because I didn't know any better Um, but it didn't stop me (laughs) from making pieces Um, and you just picked up little hints here and there but there again that's how my applique technique evolved was um just out of necessity, I guess. Right. So the first quilts were stripped, were pieced, um, right. and sort of more similar to what Nancy Crow was making. But then you kind of came up with this way of appliquing, which is what your quilts are sort of more known, much more known for mm-hmm. now. And what's was really freeing because once you can do applique, you can do anything, any shape is possible. And so I wondered if you can just briefly describe that process, like how how that works so that people who maybe don't really understand how you would make an applique the way that you do it can understand it. Okay. Well, like I say, I treat fabric a little more like paper. And in order to do that, I'm backing my fabric with an iron-on interfacing. Um, it's not a fusible web, but an interfacing. So it adds um, stability to the fabric and body to the fabric. So any shape that I could draw, I can cut out of fabric. So with that interfacing backing, it's like cutting a piece of paper. And very often I will use an X-Acto knife to cut things out because that 
paper backing uh, gives it enough body that I can actually handle it like I would a piece of construction paper. Um, and that's what gives it uh, the hard edge graphic quality that it that it has. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> and then once it's cut out, you can iron it onto a larger piece of fabric. Right, but it just sits on top of the fabric. And then I'll finish the edge and anything that is behind the shape, let's say I'm putting a a disc, a circle on, I would straight stitch around it first, then I would finish it with embroidery, satin stitch or something. And because that circle is not glued to the background, there's a pocket between the background and the circle. And I can cut away all that extra fabric behind the circle. And so with every shape that gets put onto the background, whatever is behind it gets cut away. So that in the long run, when the piece is finished, it's really just a single layer of fabric and interfacing through the whole piece. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah, it's really labor intensive. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because then the whole thing also gets quilted. Yes, yeah. As well, and then bound, right. Right, okay. Well, you know, I used to, um, because I, with my quilting and uh, my, the way that I work, you know, I bury, I mean, millions of threads, millions of knots in the back. And um, I used to think, (laughs) Jane, this is a ridiculous way to make a living, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's just such a part of the process and I'm really, really good at it now. It doesn't take me as long as it would probably take most people. Um, and I actually enjoy having an afternoon of nothing to do but bury threads. Um, but here again, it's it's that esoteric craftsmanship, um, that meditative work that uh, for me is so appealing, I guess. Right. That's what you were looking for. Are your works big? I mean, do they t- – I mean, obviously, you, you could make them any size, but do you tend to make – large pieces, you know, overall? Um, Not really large. I would say mine are more modest in size. They can get big. I mean, I've gone probably, let's see, like 60 by 90, which is a pretty good size um, piece. But most are in the probably 40 to 60 inches in there. Somewhere, the advantage of working in this graphic kind of way is when you see a picture of one of my pieces, you don't know if it's four foot square or one foot square. It's uh, it's got power no matter what size it is because of the graphicness. Mm-hmm. And you, how about how many? pieces do you end up making in a year? Do you know? Do you have an estimate of, of how many? Do you, I'm just wondering, like, so people have a sense of, like, how productive this is, this whole establishment. Um, 
Well, I've been very productive in the last couple of years. I'm, I, I feel like Jane is blooming again. It's really a, <laughs> a nice position to be in right now. Um, you know, it's going to take me a month to a couple months to make a piece. Okay. You know, of yeah. a, so. So six, eight, something yeah. like that in a year. Okay. Maybe six. Maybe six. Okay. And and you sell the finished pieces? It's always a bonus when you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can't count on it, but yes, uh, quilters do buy quilts. And uh, there's no nicer compliment than somebody um, taking your quilt uh, to a good home. You know, it really uh, is uh, kind of completes the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, if you ever, I mean, you came to quilting as an artist and you really craved, as we've talked about, this sort of esoteric craftsmanship and you were really looking for that. But I'm wondering whether you've ever regretted it. In other words, if there have ever been moments when you felt like choosing to express your art through quilting meant that you weren't taken as seriously as you might have been if you had chosen to express your art through graphic design, let's say, or through painting, or had you stuck with cut paper collage, you know, something that was sort of less domestic or easier for, you know, a gallery or museum to understand. Um, I mean, I think we've come a long way with being able to understand quilting as art, but it's not 100% there yet. And I just wondered whether there's ever been a moment when you're like frustrated by the fact that quilting is sort of in some circles shoved aside, you know, sort of not seen the way that other artistic forms are. I think at one point I felt that way. Um, but the other, <laughs> the stubborn part of me um, just says, check it, you know, I'm, I'm making what I make. And um, God only knows why I'm so attracted to this medium. Um, but it's obviously meant to be. Um, I do remember sitting in a gallery years ago, and uh a woman and a man were sitting looking at some of the quilts, and they were fabulous quilts. And you know that uh, she was his decorator, and he said to her, well, I, I really would rather have a painting. And it just really irritated me <laughs> so much to hear somebody actually say that. Um, yeah. But I, I think we have come a long way. I think no matter what kind of artist you are, though, um, you, you have to put up with some a lot of preconceived ideas, that's for sure. And I would love to talk a little bit about your children and about your raising them and the way you approached it, because I was really drawn to your description of it in your book. And um, so you said that... Uh, um, well, I love this in your, you talked about your daughter Willow, uh, when she was young and you said that, uh, she just assumed that her mother was permanently 
at work. And, um, and one morning she said, mommy, let's pretend that we're at the park, but don't worry. There's a sewing machine there. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I absolutely love that because, uh, I think my children certainly see me as permanently at work. Um, and I read that out loud to them last night and they all smiled. <laughs> so, um, I think they could totally relate to that. And, um, and I just wondered if you could sort of describe how, you know, you sort of set up your, your workshop in the middle of the dining room table when they were really young and sort of kept it there as you were raising them? Well, there was only one table, so <laughs> I had to claim it. But, um, yeah, I it, it makes me think of uh, Louise Nevelson, actually. She's a American sculptress, and there's a wonderful book that's an interview with her called Dawns and, and Dusks. And one thing that sticks with me from that interview is that she says um, that you 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 have to be good with the choices you make. You know, not don't regret it. Just go for it and let go of the the things that have to be let go of. And um, I've carried that with me my my whole life. And where there's a will, there's a way. And I took over the table, but it was in the middle of the house. And life went on around me. I was always there. Um, but I always did try to incorporate the kids with what I was doing for for many years. Um, as I was uh, starting to quilt, I was also a designer of decorative accessories. And I would always give the kids the same assignment that I had that week. So if I was designing egg cups or picture frames or whatever it was, um, they would do it as well. And I was lucky enough that I could walk to the company um, office that I was freelancing for from our house, and I would turn in my kids' work along with my own work. And... Um, once my boss came to my house to pick up the work, and my son hands him his assignment as well, and my boss gave him like three $1 bills, and you could just see <laughs> my son's face light up. It's like, oh, now I get it. Right. You make this, and you get that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, so they they were part of the process. Um, they weren't being ignored. They were right there in it with you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And your um, and your son Oliver did he end up becoming an art, pursuing an artistic career himself? Oh goodness! You know we could use some lawyers and doctors in this family. But <laughs> it's not coming through our gene pool. Yes, he um, went to Alfred. Uh, university uh, in electronic arts, so a lot of um, electronic uh, digital uh, compositions, and so now he's a, a video editor and a graphic designer. Nice. 
That's lovely. So there you go. We got to start early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he has, um, well, the whole family has a, an attraction to a very graphic work. So that's kind of nice to have that in common that you can share uh, pieces that you know that everybody else is going to like as well. Yeah, the aesthetic carries through mm-hmm. for sure. And I, I love this, and we'll, we're going to talk in just a minute about your teaching um, and the classes that you teach. But um, but I thought this was really important, something that you said that women, some of the women in your classes who have put aside their um, creative selves for a long time, whether it's because they're working, you know, and have had to, to work in other kinds of jobs, or because they've been taking care of children or family members for a long time. And now, you know, they, they are in your class, but they, they fear that their families are going to fall apart or that their husbands, you said, are going to, you know, stop loving them if they begin taking time for the things that they truly enjoy. In other words, if instead of sitting and watching TV in the evenings with their husband or doing what they usually do, you know, um, on the weekends with their family, they actually use that time to create quilts or to sew or do creative things, the creative things that they truly want to do, um, kind of change the routine and pursue those things that they they have this fear that doing that is going to make the world fall down, you know, yeah, around right. them. And, um, and I've talked to, to friends of mine, um, who actually did have that same fear, you know, like there was an expectation that they're going to sit and watch, TV with their husband in, in the evening after work, and therefore they can't use that time to, you know, build their Etsy shop or whatever it was mm-hmm. that they did want to do and really struggled to to reclaim that time for themselves. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that because I, I've actually never heard anybody put that into words, and yet I've, I know that it's true. Well, I guess I was lucky. Um when I came to Chicago, I <laughs> was going to move into an apartment with my future husband and his brother. And I spent the summer at um, my husband-to-be's house. And he's from a big family, so I kind of ended up being the summer girl while I was there and um, spending a lot of time with Greg's little brother while his uh, mom went to work and things like that. And when she learned that we found an apartment, we were going to move in together. I I had picked her up from uh, her job and we pulled into the driveway and, and she turned and looked at me and she said, now Jane, you have talent, and I don't want you to waste it. She said, I knew I married a chauvinist, but I didn't intend to raise five of them. And if you start doing things around the house, they don't, won't even know it, but they will just expect that you will always be doing that, she said. So you be careful 
um, they still have to show that they, <laughs> that they have some talent. But we know that you do. And don't let them take it away from you. And I happened to be listening that day. And so when I did move in with two males, um, I didn't start doing the dishes. I didn't start picking up the house and things like that. And um, God bless my mother-in-law for um, passing <laughs> those words of wisdom uh, on to me. Um, I guess I've personally been fighting for that um, my whole life, uh, is to spend my time the way I want to spend it. Um, and I guess that's that stubbornness. But I know, yes, a lot of people do struggle with that. But, you know, small changes uh, can do some big things. So maybe in baby steps, it would be easy for some of those gals to uh, reclaim their space and, and their time. Yeah, it's true. It can be hard to do and it can be, it can require an uncomfortable conversation for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but one that can be really worth having. So, um, so thank you for that. And thank you to your mother-in-law for telling you that. I know. Isn't that great? Yeah, it really is. She sounds like she, she was really wise. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about your teaching. And, um, do you, I just wondered, I know you have a, a lot of different workshops that you, that you offer and you do travel and teach. And I wondered what teaching gives you and whether you could work as well as you do now, kind of without that as a component of what you do? I think for me, teaching really balances out um, my life. I'm one of those that can just keep working and working and working <laughs> and working. And um, teaching, I think, is my soul saying, now, Jane, you know, you can't just stay in the studio all the time. You have to go out into the world. And so I kind of divide my life into those two, um, the quiet, isolated time in the studio and my social time when I go on the road and teach. And um, they definitely inform each other. When I come back uh, from teaching, I am so inspired um, Yes, by the companionship and, and uh, the sharing that happens, um, but also seeing what people around me are doing, like the new color combinations that somebody comes up with in class or a new shape. Um, it's all really uh, inspiring to me, and hopefully to the students as well. And I know you design fabric for Free Spirit, and you had this history as a product designer, which we talked about. So to that 
you know, degree, it really does make sense that you would want to design the product that you use every day, um, you know, in your work. But at the same time, you use a lot of solids. And, <laughs> um, and if there is a print, it seems like one you could paint, um, you know, on your own or, or something like that. So um, I wondered if you could talk about how this collaboration with Free Spirit came about and how it serves you. For me, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, position because, yes, in my art quilts, I'm using mostly solid fabrics. And when I'm designing a fabric, it's a pattern that looks like one of my quilts, if that makes sense. Um, but it's printed on a piece of fabric. So, again, it's kind of two, two halves because you have to use that printed fabric in a totally different way. And I guess being a student of Merimekko, when I design fabric, I'm designing uh, art by the yard. That's how I like to look at it. And that's why I like to design such big scale prints. Um, if you don't cut up my fabric, it's fine with me because <laughs> it looks good just straight off the bolt. So it's good for duvet covers and shower curtains and, you know, those big prints can go a long ways. And I know it is challenging um, and sometimes scary for people to, you know, what do I do with a big print like this? I, I love it, but how do I use it? And it's, it's been an interesting dilemma for me um, as well, because when you design fabric, at least for free spirit, um, then you're expected to design quilts made with the fabric. And I've made over a hundred quilts um, <laughs> with Sassaman fabric since I've started um, designing. And those are mostly pieced because of um, the scale and very often symmetrical prints. Uh, you have to treat the fabric uh, in a different kind of way. And that takes you in a different direction. Right. Yes. And it's almost like you can do, uh, to me, they remind me of a kaleidoscope. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. And did you approach them or did they come to you? No, um, because I was known as an art quilter, um, Donna Wilder uh, started Free Spirit with the idea of inviting quilters to design fabric that would be specifically marketed to quilters. And so... I was on her list, I and see. it's something that I always wanted to do. 
The other thing I wanted to talk about is your beautiful book, The Quilted Garden. And you have um, two books, but I I just absolutely love this book and I want to recommend it to people. Um, I don't know if it's still, is it still in print? It really came out a long time ago. It came out in 2000. You can get it on demand still. Um, Or I'm sure you can get a used copy because a lot of people are cleaning out their libraries these days. But I'm... I'm really happy um, with that book um, because it talks about the things that I like to hear about when I read about other artists, um, the things that they go through. Um, It's like your whole story from the beginning and then your evolution as a quilt maker from the very first quilt onward with the story of each one and how it changed and what inspired you. And then the end part are exercises and how to develop your own ideas. And I just love it. I feel like, I don't know how you feel, but as I was reading it um, over the weekend, I felt like I don't think a, a book like this would be published today because I feel like in it's it would be online you know this is the kind of thing that would be published as a blog in, in a series of blog posts and i don't know that a publisher would do this now but i'm so glad that they did it when they did you know well i kind of had to twist some arms to do that um at that time uh cnt had a series of books called art and inspiration and they only did maybe four of those, Michael James and I think Yvonne Purcella, and I can't remember who else. And when they asked me about doing a book, I said, well, I want to do an art and inspiration, one of those series. And they said, well, that's nice, but those books don't make <laughs> any money. And I said, yeah, but that's what I I want to do. So... I compromised, you know, and and put a little bit of um, how-to in there. But I did did get the information that I wanted to get in there. And I'm really pleased that it got out into the world. Yeah. And I don't know if it made money or not, but it really is like a document of you and your style and your story and – I don't know. To me, it really stands the test of time. Like here it is 19 years later and I just got it in the mail and I opened it and I was like in your world. And I just, <laughs> I don't know. To me, it really stands the test of time where a lot of quilt books that were published in 2000 don't. So I really recommend it to people. You will be plunged into the Jane Sassaman garden in a way that well, you really want to be. So... I love it when people bring their books to class to have them signed, and they have really been looked at a lot. You know, it's a well-used book, and and that really makes me feel good. Absolutely, I bet. Um, so, uh, and you want to talk about any of your other sort of current products that are out there and available for people to check out. I know you have some collaborations with some other companies and there's some neat stuff that are Jane Sassaman branded things for people to take a look at. Well, yeah, I do um, 
design ribbon occasionally for Renaissance ribbons, as do my fellow free spirit designers. A lot of them do. Uh, um, I use a lot of 12-weight thread in my uh, quilting, and uh, Superior has So Sassy, which is a 12-weight thread, um, which is wonderful to have a thread with your name on it, so to speak. And um, I actually do have some digitized um, quilt designs as well, because uh, my local store here in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, one of the owners is one of the Hoop Sisters who uh, do extraordinary digitizing. And so they have actually digitized some of the motifs from my uh, textile designs. And so you just never know uh, what kind of opportunities are going to come your way. So it's pretty fun. They're scarves, right? Right. And that's with. Uh, Dragon Threads, uh, the publisher of my patchwork uh, Sassman-style book. Uh, she is trained uh, in the fashion industry. So um, my editor, Linda Tufel, uh has done all that uh, chasing down to get some wonderful uh, designs printed on silk. And so we just do limited um, numbers. And when they're gone, they're gone. But when they're gone, that means we can do a new one. So I, we've done well, at least half a dozen so far. Wonderful. So neat. Okay. Um, so people can check this out. I'll try to do as much linking as I can in the show notes. Um, and I want to make sure we get to some of your recommendations. I'm going to put you on the spot um, and ask you to tell me about some things that you are enjoying right now. So these would be things that you would recommend to a creative friend, and they don't have to be new. They can just be favorite things, but um, maybe a book you've read recently, or it could be um, an exhibit you've seen. It could be a, a color. <laughs> it could be um, a tool or an app on your phone or really anything that, um, you know, you just really love and would recommend to, to somebody. Well, one thing that comes to mind is definitely uh, the new book that uh, Sakwa, the Studio Art Quilt uh, Association, uh, put out recently, which is um, Art Quilts Unfolding. Um, you'll notice when you look at it, I mean, it's like a big textbook um, of the history of the art quilt movement. And when I looked at this book for the first time, I mean, I literally got tears in my eyes oh. because um, I wasn't the only person who was affected, the, you know, by a lot of the same things. And I looked in there and go, oh, my God, they're talking about um, Objects USA, which is a book I checked out of the library in college you know, every other week um, as being instrumental to this whole contemporary craft movement. But there's so many uh, elements in there that to me were um, pivotal and they've got them recorded in there. And that's really nice. Oh, um, that's lovely. And to, and to know that so many people were affected by the same things at the same same time. So definitely would recommend that. 
And let's see. Oh, a tool. I will retire the day that they stop making easy threading needles <laughs> uh, or self-threading needles. And I like the ones that are um, that load at the top. Um, are you familiar with what I, an easy threading I've never is? used them before, but I think that they almost have like a, an opening in the eye. Is that right? Exactly. So uh, you can snap the thread into the eye of the needle. You don't have to thread it, but you can pull it down and snap it in there. And that's what I use to bury all of those gazillions of knots in the mm. back of my uh, quilts. Right, because you're threading and unthreading a needle exactly. a bazillion times. Exactly. So that would save you. Yeah. It's, they're fabulous. And you do have to test you know, the needles in the pack uh, to find the ones that work the best. But once you find them, you just keep them by your side at all times. <laughs> so that's for me an essential tool for sure. Okay, good one. And I, I think the one other thing that I would recommend, because I love to listen to podcasts and to learn something when I go to the gym makes it bearable to go and do exercise. I feel so the I same way, by the way. <laughs> yes. I was just listening to you this morning, oh, by the yay, way. Thank you. And um, so I have a handful of, of podcasts that I like to listen to, but one that I would like to recommend, um, because it's, a li it's not devoted to uh, crafting and making, but... Um, it's still to uh, creativity, and that is uh, Design Matters, oh, which yeah. is done by Debbie Millman, mm -hmm. and she uh, interviews um, designers and artists and other kind of uh, cultural leaders, and they're always a, a really insightful um, interview. So I would encourage people to add um, Design Matters to their list of, of inspiring podcasts. Wonderful. That's a great recommendation. I've listened to a few of them, but I'm going to add it back to my queue because, you know, sometimes it's like you just need to freshen up how many podcasts you're listening to. I suppose oh, yes, right. I, I go through them at a surprising rate. And then I'm like, gosh, I've listened to all the episodes and now I have nothing. So right. yeah, yeah. Exactly it's frustrating. Right. I know. <laughs> so that's great. And do you listen to it to music or to anything while you work? I'm curious about that because you must spend so many long hours in the in the studio. I go to the library every week and pick up a stack of books on tape, and that's my idea of heaven, is uh, making quilts and listening to a ripping yarn at the same time. Nice. Uh, can't beat. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, well, Jane, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the While She Naps podcast. Well, thanks, Abby. Thanks for the invitation. And you've been listening to the Walshing Apps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshingapps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, 
blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was brought to you by Sewing Studio. Sewing Studio is a presenting partner of the Walshy Naps podcast and hopes that you've enjoyed the information in today's program. Continuing the tradition of sharing sewing with future generations, Carlene and the Sewing Studio team invite you to visit their online store at www.sewingstudio.com. Also, view their ideas and become part of the Sewing Studio community by following them on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Remember to use the code ABBY10, that's A-B-B-Y-1-0, at checkout to receive a 10% discount off of your entire order. Thank you so much, Sewing Studio. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.